0: About a year and a half, we began a sermon series in 1 Corinthians. Holy cow, right? Uh, and over the course of the time, we've taken a couple of breaks here and there, and uh, so we're going to jump back into 1 Corinthians, and as we jump back into 1 Corinthians, just going to remind you of a couple of things. One is the key theme verse for 1 Corinthians is found in chapter 1, verse 10, where it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. I highlighted perfectly united. That's the theme. Paul is challenging the church to be. Perfectly united. How difficult is that? Very difficult, as we even see in our country today. I mean, but so for Paul, whether you think about who is the best teacher, remember we talked about that? Apollos or Cephas or Peter uh, or Paul, or what about lawsuits? Who's right and who's wrong? It's about unity. Or being married or single, it's not an argument about which is better, it's about unity or your calling or your assignment, my assignment is better than yours, or I don't have a very good assignment, it doesn't matter, it's about unity or eating foods offered to idols or gifts of the Spirit or my rights and freedoms or black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter, or whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask or vaccinated or aren't vaccinated... Okay, so maybe those last couple weren't in 1 Corinthians. But I thought it was ironic that here we are, a year and a half ago, we start this journey through 1 Corinthians, and what has happened in the last year and a half? We have seen some of the greatest division in our country and even the church today, and Paul's challenge to us is to be perfectly united in mind and thought. The Greek word there really has a picture of harmony, so we sometimes think united. We think everybody's got to think the same, walk the same, be the same, but it's more about harmony. Harmony is, as we see from our wonderful worship team, it's different instruments and different singers singing different notes, playing different notes and playing different instruments, but they're, they're on the same song. And that's the key. So it's this beautiful harmony because we're all in the same song. And and I think the the mindset of let's have the same mind and thought. Let's be focused on the same thing. We may look the difference. We may feel the difference about something. But we can have this beautiful harmony if we are all on the same song. And just so we don't think that maybe Paul was a little off, um, Jesus had... This in his prayer, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed that we would be in harmony, and Jesus gave us the reason so that the world may believe <coughs> that you have sent me. One of the best ways that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the world is by us being in harmony. So this last year we've been talking about the power of and, or I should say since last year. April, we've been looking at chapters 11 through 14, and I titled this part of 1 Corinthians The Power of Anne, because if you remember, we took a look at 1 Corinthians 14.1, which in this section, I like this to be kind of the main verse where Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of spirit, especially prophecy. I called the very first sermon in this part. Way back in April, the great adjective, because for me the key word in this verse is and, because as I said back then, we are to follow the way of love and eagerly desire the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. It's it's not but, it's not follow the way of love but, or it's not then, follow the way of love then, it's and second thing that I pointed out in this message was the eagerly desire, as it, the NIV says it here, or earnestly desire. We are to earnestly desire the things of the Spirit. Now, you notice in this translation, the NIV, it says gifts of the Spirit, and I pointed out that. In the actual Greek text, the Greek word for gifts is not in here. So a better translation is actually found uh, this way. Pursue love, however, keep eagerly seeking the things of the Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean the other translation is wrong because in context of verses 12 and 13 into 14, the gifts of the Spirit are being talked about. So that, I'm not saying that, all oh, the NIV is all wrong because they say the gifts of the Spirit. What, I, what I'm saying is it's, it's, we narrow it down to well, all he's talking about is tongues and prophecy and whatever other gifts of the Spirit. I think Paul is talking about something greater, living a life in the Spirit. It is a much broader context. So, pursue love, however, eagerly or and eagerly seek the things of the Spirit. Especially seek to be able to prophesy Today, we're going to pick up in chapter 14. And the crazy thing is, I know may, this may be hard to believe, but by the end of November, we're going to be done with 1 Corinthians. Yes. I've got it laid out, mapped out. We're going to do it. So today, we're going to look at verses 1 through 25 of 1 Corinthians 14. So I'm going to ask you to turn into your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, or you can follow along on the screen up above. In the NIV, it says this, Pursue love. However, keep on eagerly seeking the things of the Spirit, and especially seek to be able to prophesy. For someone speaking in a tongue is not speaking to people but to God, because no one can understand, since he is uttering mysteries and in the power of the Spirit. But someone prophesying is speaking to people, edifying, encouraging, and comforting them. A person speaking in a tongue does not edify, um, does edify himself, but a person prophesying edifies the congregation. I wish you would all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you would all prophesy. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless someone gives an interpretation so that the congregation can be edited. Brothers, I come to you now speaking in tongues. How can I be a benefit to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even with lifeless musical instruments, such as a flute or a harp, how will anyone recognize the melody if one note can't be distinguished from another? And if the bugle gives an unclear sound, who will get ready for battle? It's the same way with you. How will you know what you are saying unless you use your tongue to produce intelligible speech? You'll be talking to the air. There are undoubtedly all kinds of sounds in the world and none is altogether meaningless. But if I don't know what a person's sound mean, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. Likewise with you, since you eagerly seek the things of the Spirit, seek especially that that will help in edifying the congregation. Therefore, someone who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit does pray, but my mind is unproductive. So what about it? I will pray with my spirit, but I also will pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. Otherwise, if you are giving thanks with your spirit, how will someone who has not yet received much instruction be able to say, Amen? when you have finished giving thanks, since he doesn't know what you are saying. For undoubtedly you are giving thanks very nicely, but the other person is not being edified. I thank God that I can speak in tongues more than all of you. But in a congregation meeting, I would rather say five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, don't be children in your thinking. In evil, be like infants, but in your thinking, be grown up. In the Torah it is written, by other tongues, by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says Adonai. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophesy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole congregation comes together with everybody speaking in tongues and uninstructed people or unbelievers come in, won't they say you're crazy? But if you all prophesy and some unbeliever or uninstructed person enters, he is convicted of sin by all, he is brought under judgment by all and the secrets of his heart are laid bare so he falls on his face and worships God saying, God is really here among you. Today, my sermon is titled, Building Up Others. Paul ends verse 1 of 14 with, Especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love, yes. Earnestly desire the things of spirit, yes. And especially that you prophesy. That should ask cause some questions, right? Why? What's so important about prophecy? Why is this a big deal? Well, to help us with this, uh, I want to define a little bit about prophecy. Now, there are lots of good books on spiritual gifts, and so I can recommend books if you want to dive into this d- deeper. I'm just going to point out a couple of simple things regarding prophecy that will help us today. The first thing I, I want to point out is that prophecy is foretelling and forth-telling. Now, um. Foretelling is all about telling the future. That's what foretelling. Now, the dilemma for us as followers of Jesus is that sometimes we think that anytime the word prophecy comes up, it's all about telling the future. Foretelling. But the interesting thing is, when you look in the Hebrew Bible, or in the Old Testament, There there is lots of foretelling talking about the future, but there's also all kinds of forthtelling. And forthtelling can be defined as speaking forth or out of God's word. Foretelling, telling about the future, forthtelling is telling out of God's word, what God has spoken. So, We primarily assume that when prophecy is mentioned, it's all about foretelling. So when somebody says they have a word or they're going to prophesy, we think it's just about the future. And with foretelling, it's even more. In the Old Testament, we see the prophets foretelling, meaning they're addressing specific social political, and religious circumstances. So in Judah and in Israel, they would get themselves in trouble, right? So the prophet would foretell. God is saying, hey, your idolatry? Messed up. Don't turn back to God. The future doesn't look right. But there's another thing that the prophets deal with Besides idolatry, it's this. They deal with social issues and political issues and religious issues. Here's an example in Isaiah chapter 1. Now, this is the beginning of Isaiah, and he's beginning to prophesy or forth telling. And part of it says, wash yourselves clean. Get your evil deeds out of my sight. I love it. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Are you ready? Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Defend the orphans. Plead for the widow. Do you see it there? You see, sometimes we hear the word justice in our culture, and we go, oh, justice. Justice. Whoa, 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 you read the prophets, and the prophets forth tell God's word about justice all the time. One of Israel's sins was, yes, it was idolatry, but it was also their lack of justice. They didn't take care of the poor, they didn't take care of the fatherless, they cared only for themselves. Prophecy in the New Testament is similar. There is foretelling and forth-telling. And again, too often we get in trouble because we just focus on the foretelling, the future, and we forget about the forth-telling. And even on our text today, Paul talks about prophecy a lot, as we know. But here's what he says. Let's remind us what the purpose for prophecy is. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging, and comfort. Yes, sometime in foretelling, talking about the future, you can strengthen and encourage and comfort, but... Many times that I've experienced prophecy, it's more about forth-telling, speaking God's Word, but God has given me an insight or a word into a situation that either strengthens, encourages, or comforts. So for us today, as we are in chapter 14, this prophecy, especially that you prophesy that Paul talks about. Pursue love and earnestly desire the things of the Spirit, especially that you prophesy. Why? So you can strengthen and encourage and comfort your brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you. I told this story a number, um, a couple of years ago here, but I was teaching pastor at Riverwood, and I knew my time was there, it was short, and I had this desire to be a senior pastor. And I had preached on a Sunday, and after the service, a woman comes up to me and, and she says, So I, I feel like God has given me something for you today. I go, Okay, it's after the service, a lot of people around. Um, And she begins to say, don't worry about, and she listed three things not to worry about. In my prayer journal, those were my three top things I was praying about. And then she says, you can take whatever church you want and you will bear some fruit, or if you wait... You'll bear much fruit for my kingdom. I was encouraged and comforted that day because that woman foretold what the Spirit of God had spoken to her about my situation. I've been fortunate to have people forth tell into my life on a number of occasions. And in fact, in my prayer journal in the back, I have them all written down. And every so often I revisit them because I need to. I just do. They strengthen me. They encourage me. They, they comfort me. And in fact, when I use up a journal and set it on my shelf and buy a new one, one of the first things that I do is I rewrite all those forthtelling words in the back of my journal so I have them at hand. And it reminds me once again of how God has spoke through other people in my life. So what causes us problems is when this prophecy thing or the spiritual gifts thing, becomes about me. I need to have that gift. That was part of what Paul was dealing with back in Corinth. People were going, yeah, look at me, I can speak in tongues. woo hoo See me, see me, see me. I, I got this word, see me, see me, see me. That's where we get into trouble. So even when it came to earnestly desiring the things of the Spirit, the church in Corinth was making it all about them. And here's the truth. It's not about them. It's not about me. The gifts of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, it's not about me. The gifts of the Spirit are exactly that. A gift from the Spirit for me to be blessing others, to strengthen, encourage, and comfort others. But here's the cool thing, prophecy, this strengthening, encouraging, and comforting my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just for my brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, Paul says in verses 24 and 25, he says, But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So do we want unbelievers or those who are inquiring to proclaim that God is really among us? Then for me, I need to pursue love and earnestly desire the things of the Spirit, especially that I prophesy, especially that I foretell, that I listen to the Spirit. And when the Spirit speaks to me in regards to somebody, that I say it. Research shows today that millennials and Gen Xers and Gen Zers and anybody that's younger than me, which is getting to be more and more every day, they aren't really interested in knowing knowing if this Jesus stuff is true. They're not interested in the truth. It's not about apologetics for the younger generation. You know what they're wondering? Is it real? Is is Jesus real? Not just knowledge. I know. They want to see it. If this Spirit of God thing is real, and if there are miracles that happen, they, they want to see it. They want to they want to know is it is it real? They want to say God is really among you. So again, why why should I earnestly desire the things of the spirit, especially that I prophesy one, so I can strengthen and encourage and comfort you, and so that anytime an unbeliever should walk in here, or I'm out there and an unbeliever comes into my presence, that they will go, God is really among you. And that they fall down on their knees worshiping God. For me, again, that's all I need. That's all I need to have motivation to pursue love and earnestly desire the things of the Spirit, especially that I prophesy. So that poses a question, right? How do we prophesy? How do we foretell to strengthen and encourage and comfort those in our body. First, um, spiritual disciplines. Why? Because if I'm not taking time on a regular basis to be alone with God where I'm reading the Bible, praying, it's, I'm quiet, I, I take my phone and I throw it in another room, it's just me and God, and I'm intentionally reading the Bible and listening to what the Spirit is speaking to me, if I'm not doing that in my alone time, I'm going to have a much harder time to hear the Spirit when I'm out amongst the noise. So, silence and solitude, reading your Bible, prayer, fasting, generosity, any kind of spiritual discipline, do them. We, we need to be intentional about learning to listen to the Spirit who resides in us and speaks to our spirit. Second thing, ask God, how can I strengthen and encourage, comfort the person I am with? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, seriously, if, if you're around somebody and you're having a conversation and you're listening, just in inside, you don't have to say it out loud, just go, God, how can I strengthen, encourage, or comfort this person? And whatever the Spirit speaks to your spirit, do it. Say it. Just do it. Third thing, no-brainer, listen. Listen to the Spirit. Sometimes I think that when we pray for people, we we, we got to pray. So somebody comes up and wants a prayer, and so we just dive in it and we just start praying. What if we stopped and we're silent? We just sat there and we... We took a deep breath, and we said, "Um, "God, what do you have for this person, so that I can strengthen and encourage and comfort them in with what they're dealing with?" Most of the time, I rush into prayer. In fact. I did that with Rebecca Zink before the service. She had some stuff going on, and I just said, can I pray for you? And I just started praying. I, I, and then afterwards, I come over, and I'm up over here and sitting, it was like, okay, I'm going to preach about listening and pausing. And here I am praying for somebody, and I don't pause and listen. So I, I've got a long ways to go in learning this, but there have been numerous times where I have paused I remember being right up here, it was John Meter and I, and it was a lady who came for for prayer and she shared, and John and I both just waited. And then something welled up in me, and I began to pray it. The woman began to cry because it encouraged and comforted her. Last thing, do it in love and humility. It's huge. Love, pursue love. This is why we pursue love, because we need to do this all in love. Humility, why? Because if I go into it going, I've got a word for you, now you're going to get yourself in trouble. That lady that shared at my church that I told you about, if she would have come up to me and said, I've got a word from the Lord for you, I would have shut that down right there. But she says, so I think maybe... I have something for you. So, it brings up another question. So, what happens if somebody speaks a word over you, right? How do I receive a prop- prophecy? One, remember its purpose, okay? It's to strengthen, encourage, and to comfort. Is what the person saying, is it doing that to me? Am I being strengthened, encouraged, and comforted? Receive it with love and humility. What I mean by this is remember that the person who's sharing with you, they're your brother and sister in Christ. They're far from perfect. Humility says, I assume the best of this person, and I'm not going to judge them or what they say right now. I'm going to receive it. Next, write it down. I write everything down in my journal. Why? Because then I can go back, read it, pray over it, all that kind of stuff. Ask God to confirm it. God, confirm it, and He will. Okay? The key for me in all this is that we need to pursue love and earnestly desire the things of the Spirit, especially that we prophesy. And I think That if we become a church that is listening to the spirit and responding to the spirit, being spirit-led, like our core value says, we'll begin to have people say, oh, this God thing is real. And we'll have a bunch of people that are encouraged, strengthened, and comforted. Let's pray. Father, we what an amazing gift the Spirit is to think that when Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, that you, Father, gave us your Holy Spirit to reside in us and uh, to think that um, if we just pause and listen, your Spirit will speak to us. Thank you. I pray, Father, that we would become a community that is Spirit-led. We would be a community that pursues love and earnestly desires the things of the Spirit, especially that we strengthen, encourage, and comfort others. In Jesus' name, amen.